Welcome to Zero to CEO, where seasoned entrepreneurs will teach you how to succeed. I'm your host, Jason Sherman. In today's episode of Zero to CEO, I'm going to talk to John Austinson. He's a leading expert in the franchise consulting space. Welcome to the show. Appreciate you having me, Jason. Yeah, no problem. And today we're going to talk about um, why non-food franchise opportunities are so popular right now, uh, which I actually didn't know that. So um, I'd like to actually find out why they're so popular right now. Who's buying all these franchises uh, and why are they buying them? What are they buying? Let's let's hear the scoop. Absolutely. No, I think there are some macro trends that support this. Um, you know, we have record levels of cash on the sideline. We see a lot of real estate investors looking for alternative investments. Now the interest rates are so high and there's a scarcity of inventory out there in the True. housing market. Um, and then we see a lot of folks, I think, still coming off of COVID a few years ago that have really started contemplating the path they're on and saying, maybe now's the time to jump into business ownership. Um, you know, and they like the idea of the franchise model where they're stepping in and, you know, to be cliche on you, starting on third base rather than starting on first base. Um, but those that we see jumping in, it's, every, you know, we've had placements this year already, those in their 20s all the way to 60s. But I'd say sweet spots oftentimes, you know, mid-30s to mid-50s. Um, you know, and sometimes we work with existing business owners as well, and they're looking for additional revenue streams. So wide variety of backgrounds, everyone from doctors and attorneys to corporate executives um, to existing business owners. Uh, across the country, um, you know, literally in just about every state out there. And, uh, you know, what we see them getting in, into, kind of your final piece of the question. Let me, everything, go ahead, Jason. I want to see if I can unpack all this because you just, you just, I, as I'm listening to you, there's like five questions popped up before I forget them. The first one, uh, you, you mentioned uh, doctors and lawyers. And so, like, if they're already running a franchise, I guess, kind of running a physical business, right? So, like, that's very time consuming. How can they then split up the time between being a doctor and a lawyer to then being a franchise owner? Because I know you have to hire managers and all that, but you still got to run the business. Yeah, no, exactly. And they're high, highly compensated W-2s. They're not leaving their day job, right? Um, in most cases. Now, you and I both know standing up a business takes work. You know, yeah. I don't want to ever sugarcoat it. There's a lot that goes into it. It's going to take longer than you think. Not everything is going to go right. The nice thing about franchising is it does allow individuals like that with to, to have a lot more ability to do that because if you have a strong franchisor on the sideline that's supporting that manager that you put in place to run the day-to-day -day operations, they can carry a lot of that support water for you. We all know the buck still stops with you as the owner, but that franchisor can really lean in, be that go-to for them on the daily basis and really set them up for success so it doesn't all fall on your shoulders. Okay. And before you mentioned the housing market kind of changed things, the real estate market. Now, I know all too well, you know, that it used to be easy to buy a house, fix it, flip it. And, and then all of a sudden, boomers aren't leaving their houses, right? They have these $500,000 homes that they bought for a hundred grand, you know, decades ago. And they're not budging because they realize the interest rates were 7% or higher. So there's a, there's a crisis right now, um, in real estate for sure. Why is why is that now leading people towards franchises? I mean, I, I get kind of the basic concept behind that, but like the last thing I thought of was a franchise if I'm having trouble with real estate. So like, how, how do they match up? Yeah, I think there's a mindset there of creating revenue streams that you may not always be actively managing. You know, that's what you think of with real estate in a lot of cases, one of the benefits. Another one would be, um, you know, the, the benefits of the taxation. I mean, the, the government 
through the tax code supports business owners and they support real estate investors because they need both of those things for the economy. So again, these real estate investors are saying, hey, in addition to my real estate portfolio, what other alternative assets are there out there that are tax advantaged uh, where I might be able to apply some leverage? Really just a lot of similarities between the two. Now, in some cases, they're getting involved in businesses that they're already using, let's say on their rental properties or renovation uh, opportunities and you know, things like home and property services. You know, that could be everything from, uh, you know, restoration services to flooring, the dumpsters, the gutters, to, you know, all sorts of non-sexy cash flow businesses. <laughs> In some cases they're saying, Hey, I'm more involved on the commercial real estate side. And right. I love the idea of, you know, finding retail tenants for buildings that I already own, or, you know, maybe some real estate plays around that. So, you know, we see some indirect as well as direct investment. Uh, coming. I mean, from that I mean, a lot of what you're telling me too kind of starts, it starts hitting me where I realize like doctors and lawyers, real estate investors, and so on and so forth. These are high net worth individuals, right? This doesn't sound like the every man, which, you know, we have 300 million plus people in America. How many of them are, are falling into this category? So the question that I would have is, what is it going to cost a regular person to start a franchise and how much could they potentially earn in terms of revenue? Cause that's really my listeners. They're, they're not doctors and lawyers. Yeah. They're entrepreneurs, college graduates and people who are just getting started. Yeah. No, great question. On the funding side, you know, I'd say all in investments. Certainly we have some that are well north of this. But oftentimes when you look at the franchise fee, the startup cost, and then several months of working capital built in, you can be as low as 125000 I'd say one twenty five to three hundred is where we see a lot of these falling. Um, but not everyone's paying cash. In fact, the majority are not paying cash. They, might put, in, they might put in 50000 of cash and then use an SBA loan. That's very, very, very common. Some are using an old retirement plan, rolling that over through what's called a ROBS program to purchase it. Some are using HELOCs or other means. Uh, so a lot of ways to get in. I'd well, say I don't want to cut uh, you off, but yeah. I, I just want to keep drilling on this. How long does it typically take them to pay off that loan? Yeah, depends on the business. There's some that can be cash flowing as fast as a month or two out of the gate. I'd say the majority probably are turning a monthly profit six months out. Um, it's not then bad then. It's not bad. There's then. some. Right. And there's going to be you know, some payback there. Of course, the interest is tax deductible, but I'd say your payback period oftentimes may be, you know, one to two years, you know, but you're building a cash flow. And it's a business. Said, it's a business. You're getting the tax benefits. You're also building an asset that you're going to be able to sell down the road. So you kind of have to look when you compare this versus, say, a salary, a W-2. You right have to compare the apples and oranges, right? It makes sense. And plus, you're paying a lot of taxes on that, and you're pretty much stuck at that salary. I mean, you get bonuses and whatnot, but you're not going to grow as a business owner. So let's talk revenue. What are, what are we talking here? You put $125,000 in. A year later, you pay off that $125,000 or, or seventy five because you put in fifty. And then what are we talking after that? Year two, how much is a person earning on that investment? I'd say oftentimes your run rate at the end of the first year is somewhere between 600,000 and, and a million. I'd say that's pretty common. I just had a client the other day. He, he did 950 in his first year and set a new record for first year revenue for that franchise system. Is that you gross know, or net? That would be gross. And oftentimes your margin, let's just say on a business like that, we'll round it, call it a million dollars in revenue yep. that he's hitting at the run rate of, because he's had it past that run rate at the 12 month period if he hit it in the first year. So 1 million in revenue. It's probably at about a twenty percent bottom line net margin after all the expenses. So like a two two hundred thousand bucks a year the person is making running that franchise, which is more than triple what people make in their salaries, right? Right, right. And again, building an asset that you can sell down the road as well. 
And that does that grow? Is it pretty much capped at that million, or does it grow from there? Yeah, it, of course, it just it depends varies on, on a million variables. There, there are some where, right, with one territory, say two hundred fifty thousand in population, maybe what they used to define a territory at the zip code level. Um, you know, it, it may be able to grow beyond that, but it may be that no, you're kind of you've developed as much as business as can be had in that territory right. and it's going to take additional locations. So Got it. it is common for our clients to often buy additional locations to scale into over time. Double their profit, triple their profit. I get it. But I mean, if someone's happy with the, with, like you said, 200,000 bucks a year, I mean, that's not nothing to sneeze at, right? Um, especially if it's kind of running itself, which brings me to the question, is it possible to own a franchise and just have it be passive where you don't have to do a lot of the day-to-day operations? There are four or five out there that are passive. There's a great one in the insulation business. I personally own one that's in the custom orthotics and footwear business. They use 3D printing, they custom design the art, you know, art nice. supports. Yeah, just opened one up in the fall back in Delray, Florida, Lima in Atlanta, Georgia. It's a physical not, lo- physical location? Yeah, and I'm not active in the business at all. Franchisor is running it for me. Now, that sounds beautiful. There are only a few brands that do that, literally four or five, four or five of them. You know, we've got two in the pet space, you know, one in the property services arena, the insulation, you know, I mentioned the floor, uh, the uh, orthotics one. So I'm hesitant to say beyond that, that there are passive opportunities. They're what I would call semi-passive, where again, you put a manager in place, you provide some support, but assuming you've got someone good running the business, I mean, that's right. what it comes down to. Course. That franchisor can really support them on the sideline. And, um, you know, you can, I, I mean, I've got other franchises I own where I put in maybe five hours a week, in some cases even less. Did I do that in the first year? No, but no. I built up to that point, right? <laughs> well, that's how it works, right? I mean, once you get something kind of moving and, and it's smooth, then you can kind of, you know, leave a little bit more. And um, so a lot of the people that are going to be listening to this are, potentially ready to, to, to start a franchise or they've thought about running a franchise, but they don't exactly know what to do or what franchise to start because, like you said, there's 4,000 of them. Um, I'm guessing there's a lot of food-related franchises and, and like, what if they don't want to run a food-related franchise? How do they choose the right franchise for them? Yeah. So if you take out food and hotels, you know, which I think are a different animal as well, that cuts out about half the market. We okay. call it 2,000. Of those 2,000, some are going to be completely saturated or maybe they're not in growth mode. So there are about 600 that we focus on that we represent uh, Mm. through Frambridge Consulting that um, are in growth mode. They've got expansion room in the country. We're always adding to that number. Um, But ones that we vetted, and it's entirely free to work with us. We take clients through a very streamlined process, essentially introducing them to the top 10 or so opportunities that are available in their market for what they're looking to do. And it's entirely free. We get a referral fee very much like I'm essentially a real estate broker, but for franchises. Right. That's pretty cool. And and and, and I'll ask you a bit about that in a minute. Um, so now I'm going to ask you the, the difficult question before we talk about your consulting company is what's the difference between an entrepreneur who has a really good idea for a business and they're like, okay, I can start this from scratch, not pay $125,000 um, up front, knock it alone and kind of bootstrap this startup, get my clients or my, you know, user base, get investors to give me millions of dollars, scale this thing, become a unicorn, sell for a billion dollars and I'm out of here, right? Versus paying $125,000, putting two years worth of work into an existing business and maybe only earning $200,000 a year and being kind of stuck 
I guess, stuck there. What What's the pros and cons of these two different situations? Yeah, certainly. I mean, we, we, we support those that do run with their idea. Um, yeah, I do think there, there are a lot more that, that doesn't work out for that, that do. I mean, when we look at the success rate of franchises, you know, they're still open after five years versus non-franchised. Right. It's not being close. Um, I will say some people are too entrepreneurial, though, for franchising. You know, they want to put their thumbprints all over the business. They don't want to stay within the lines. But what I found is a lot of people, including existing business owners, love the idea of franchising because, again, you get a head start. This has been proven out in other markets. You've got a playbook to go execute day one. You've got support from the franchisor on the sideline. You've got other franchisees around the country living the same thing day in, day out, exchanging best practices. Maybe you have a leveraged supply chain because you're buying in bulk, even if that's for services, maybe not for product. Um, you, You have marketing, some degree of marketing optimization from day one because the company that's helping you with the marketing has already run it in other markets. And, you know, there's been research to show that franchises trade in like-kind industries at a higher multiple than non-franchised in the same industry. Now, there aren't many franchises that are tech startups. Those are not apples to apples. Yeah. But in other industries, things like home and property services, health and wellness, kids, pets, seniors, all these different categories that that people have an interest in, um, you know, that's where clients are moving. So if if I'm a a listener and I, I hear this episode, I'm like, this sounds interesting to me and this guy's not charging me anything. Take me through the process of what I would expect by working with Franbridge Consulting. Yeah. You know, we keep it super streamlined. So we would get on an introductory call. I'd ask some leading questions, gather some information, have you fill out a brief online profile that only takes a couple minutes. And then I would come back to you a couple of days later with the opportunities and I would present to you, hey, if I'm in your shoes, here are the 10 or 12 opportunities in your market that I'd want to be looking at, and here's why. And their goal would be to narrow it down then to maybe three or four to actually have a conversation with. Um, you know, From there, the franchisors will take them through a series of calls and presentations, trying to get them as much information as possible over about a month or two, mm-hmm. um, you know, introducing them to other owners and their systems so they can hear about their experiences, uh, leading up to what's called a discovery day where they would fly them into their home office. I'm there on the sidelines with my team supporting them, uh, getting on touch-based calls, providing funding resources or franchise attorney to review the agreement or coaching resources. So um, kind of a one-stop shop to help them get from nowhere to uh, business ownership. Very cool. And that's at franbridgeconsulting.com. Definitely check it out if you're interested in a franchise. This was awesome, John. I appreciate all the information. And as always, we'll see you guys in the next episode. Hope you enjoyed the episode. If you learned something today, please support this podcast by subscribing to it, sharing it with your friends, and leaving a five-star review. You can learn more about me at jasonsherman.org, where you'll find information about my book, also called Strap on Your Boots, available on Amazon, as well as my course called Startup Essentials on Udemy or Skillshare. I'll see you in next week's episode.